0: For more information, go to bestevershow.com. Best ever listeners, hello, hello. Welcome to part two of this two-part interview series from the Best Ever Conference this past March where I was interviewed by Andrew Cushman and Matt Faircloth. If you missed part one, go check it out before listening to this one. That way you have some context. I hope you enjoy this conversation, but most of all, I hope you get a lot of value from it. And with that, here we go.
1: Welcome to the Best Ever Show, the world's longest running daily commercial real estate podcast.
2: Our hosts interview commercial real
1: estate experts every day to get you the best advice ever with none of the fluffy stuff.
2: You and I talked about, and Andrew and I talked about this, some folks think that businesses grow on this linear line. I started zero, and I grow to 12,000, and here we go. It just goes just like this, and I add 1,000 units a year, and off we go, right? But we know the reality of that is it's not. It's this jagged line where you end up plateauing for a little bit, and there's a concept I came up with, just glass ceilings and breakthroughs. Business can grow to a point where you plateau, so, and then a thing needs to get adjusted to take things to the next level. So fast forward, you've met Frank. You guys are now doing better deals and coming in better capitalized and making the right decisions, and I think focusing on Dallas as your market after yeah. Cincinnati, right? What was a glass ceiling that you recall Ashcroft hitting earlier in the game that maybe stunted growth a little bit? Let's talk about what that was and then what you did to move beyond.
0: Well, Frank's incredibly talented, so we had good deal flow early on, but I couldn't keep up with it. So we could have purchased more deals early Mm -hmm. on if I was able to be better at Mm -hmm. bringing the capital to our deals. So that was one. And how we solved for that was, it's just time. Doing things consistently, and we can get into specifics of Mm -hmm. certain things that have been helpful, but really, number one, way we get investors is through referrals and word of mouth. Word of Mm -hmm. mouth has the highest likelihood of someone converting into an investor than anything else. So that would be the first thing I think of. And then also, when we got to about, I want to say 7,000 units, we realized that the third-party property management companies weren't operating as well as we could likely operate. Mm -hmm. And Frank spearheaded that. I did not. Mm -hmm. But... He built out the property management business. So we have our own in-house property management company, Birchstone Residential. And they do not manage anyone else's properties other than our properties. Mm. And when we're able to do that, it eliminates a lot of the red tape that's involved, as well as any potential price gouging that could take place with a third-party property management company. So integrating property management, integrating construction buying our supplies overseas to isolate the variable of cost going up. We just buy all of them at once, ship them to a warehouse that we lease in Dallas. We have a team that does renovation kits and those renovation kits then get shipped out to each of the apartments. So it's like a little mini Amazon warehouse. So having vertical integration has been really beneficial and helped us scale and be more efficient, which also helps us win more deals because we're able to not be at risk of price increases for supplies, for example, mm-hmm. because we've already bought them. We already know what they are.
1: Uh, so th- those are a couple things that come to mind. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned about converting investors and your best source is referrals, word of mouth, that kind of input. I think one of the challenges, even more so in today's market than a few years ago, is – understanding how much you can raise. So you mentioned you thought you could raise 500, you ended up at 843. We just completed a raise where it was one of the bigger ones we've ever tried. I candidly wasn't sure if we were gonna be able to hit it or not, and it sold out pretty quickly. But for any of us who are attempting a raise in this environment where things have changed, people are a little more cautious, a little more reticent to invest or do things, a lot of people just wanna sit on the sidelines. For both large and small, syndicators or sponsors, how do you recommend we gauge how much we can go out and raise? In the beginning, I tell people, if you're doing your first deal and you need a million, get commitments for $2 million. Absolutely. You know, what yeah. would you say? It
0: depends on where you're at in your journey. If you are starting out, and we're talking about your immediate network, people have known you for a very long time, then I've seen about a 20% conversion rate from those individuals. The challenge is, as you continue to scale and you do more deals, you'll need to expand outside of that immediate circle. And that's where you get down to a conversion rate of 5 to 10% Mm -hmm. of the individuals that are in your database will actually be investing with you. The three main variables that will determine if someone invests with you or not, or the likelihood of them investing with you, one is how well do they know you, two is how well do they know real estate. And three is how well do they know the markets that you're investing in? I found that if they know you and they trust you and they like you and they are familiar with real estate and they understand the high-level mechanics of it, and if they know the market that you're investing in, that will increase tremendously the conversion rate that you have Mm -hmm. with your investors. So – what you can do with that information is being intentional about where you go and how you approach finding new investors. I'll use Bigger Pockets as an example. It's not really much of a lead source for us now, but in the early days it was because I was pretty active on Bigger Pockets. So people knew me already, mm. and people are there to talk real estate. <laughs> so check that box. And then The market, we always invest in larger markets, so that's not really a challenge for us. But that's an example of, generally speaking, a source that checks those boxes and will help with higher conversion rate than, say, a physician's conference. Mm -hmm. A physician's conference, a lot of high net worth individuals, but they might not know you. If they don't know you, that's a challenge. You're having to immediately establish rapport. They might not know real estate, depending on their background. They may or may not know the market. So... It's a great conference to attend, and it's a great conference to start establishing those relationships, but then the follow-up becomes paramount, as it is with any relationship. But those are the three things that will help you shortcut things and get a higher
2: conversion rate. So changing gears a bit. This is an awesome conversation, by the way, guys. Good conversation so far? You guys enjoying this? All right. We've got a few more points we want to make, but there should be a mic getting set up. So if you all in the audience have a best ever question for Joe that you want to ask him here, why don't you try and find the microphone that Garrett should be helping set up. I can't see it from these awesome lights here, but there should be a mic setting up that you guys can ask a question from. But before we get there, listen to our good friend, the mad scientist, Neil Bawa. He's got me ready to jump out a window with where this thing's going and everything like that. So everybody thinks we're here, but we're actually here talking about how bad things could get in the market. And then I I listened to the brokers that we buy properties from, and they were over here like, what are you even worried about? It's fine. Nothing's changed.
0: Everything's good. How do they get paid again? Right, right, right,
2: right. We can still buy for a four cap. No big deal, right? Right. So where do you think things are going with regards to the market? And what's your current investment philosophy with market conditions? And what do you recommend, folks, bearing? mind with the market
0: i'm not going to say anything revolutionary because i get my information from the sources that most people get their information from
2: all mm-hmm.
0: speculation like, we're talking about the future but i think interest rates will continue to go up we're preparing for saving for the rate caps that we'll need for our properties we have paused distributions on some of our properties because we need to save for those rate caps and when you do that it's a sickening feeling as mm-hmm. a sponsor But I've seen what could happen with that first property, and that's a devastating feeling. So short-term pain, get through it. Know that capital preservation is first and foremost, and it's a five-year plan. We're in a very small, relatively speaking, window of time. So continue to focus on operations and continue to grow NOI, continue to control the things that are under your control. And that's where our heads are at. I mentioned in my keynote, I agree with Neil. There's there's going to be operators, I don't know how many, but there's going to be operators who are going to need to sell because they won't be able to psychologically come to grips with reality. Mm. And they won't want to have conversations with investors about capital calls. We've never done a capital call, but there will be groups that need to do a capital call and they won't. Therefore, they will sell. Because psychologically, I think it's going to be easier for them to just say, hey, this isn't working out. We've got to sell for a loss compared to them saying, investors, this isn't working out. We're going to have a capital call. Call. I'm going to talk to you all about it. I'm going to have separate conversations with each and every one of you. They won't do it, even though it's in the best interest, perhaps. I don't know. It depends on the situation for them to do it. So there will be buying opportunities, I believe, this fall and this winter. So we're preparing our investors for those buying opportunities. And we've got a fund that's ready to capitalize on those opportunities. We'll get back to the show. a first, some sponsors I'm confident you'll find value in learning more about. Deciding how to invest your capital is more challenging than ever. That's why it's never been more important to partner with a company with a solid track record and that has thrived through various economic cycles. Companies like BAM Capital... BAM Capital is a trusted multifamily syndicator that has delivered a historical average of over 35% IRR with an average hold period of three and a half years. BAM Capital has never missed a preferred payment, never lost an LP's investment, and never called capital past the subscription amount. BAM Capital is currently raising capital for a fund designed for accredited investors targeting a 15 to 20% IRR and a 2 to 2.5x equity multiple to its investors over a three to five year hold period. If you're an accredited investor and you want to learn more about multifamily investment opportunities with BAM Capital, visit capital.thebamcompanies.com. Again, that's capital.thebamcompanies.com. Are you a real estate investor looking to break into the multifamily investing space? Have you heard of MFIN Con happening in Charlotte, North Carolina, June 12th through the 14th? The Multifamily Investor Nation Convention is a place to learn from over 60 high-level apartment investors while networking with more than 700 additional investors. If that's not enough for you, A-Rod, yep, Alex Rodriguez, 12-time Major League Baseball All-Star with over $700 million of commercial real estate assets, will be live and in person speaking at the event. Also speaking is the one and only Dr. Robert cialdini the godfather of influence and the award-winning author i personally love his books so be sure to secure your tickets to this live in-person event before they're gone go to mfincon.com for more details sponsorship opportunities are also available visit mfincon.com today use the promo code best ever to get 200 dollars off your tickets that's mfincon.com all
1: right so it seems to be at least up here and, and most of the people that we've heard and that we all listen to consensus is we're probably trending down right now in terms of valuation, and there's probably going to be an increase in stress and distress, and that's going to lead to buying opportunities down the road. But right now, be cautious, be careful, raise reserves, do risk mitigation things. And in life and in business, there's often subtle clues. So if you're at a conference like this, and I'm walking into the restroom, and the guy coming out can't make eye contact with me, I know I'm in for it. So what subtle clues are you looking for that the rest of us can pay attention to (laughs) to say it's time to get aggressive again and, as Warren Buffett would say, be greedy and to really start scaling up acquisitions? I
0: mean, it's just what are the expectations of the sellers and what are your expectations to make the numbers pencil? And right now, they're not aligned. Sellers Mm -hmm. still are at the lower cap rates and buyers are not. So it's just whenever the sellers have enough pain associated to the deals that they own and they see the writing on the wall, that's what you look for. So it's just cap rate alignment.
2: Mm-hmm. Thank you. A few other change deals questions. So you've achieved the amount of success. What's next for Joe? Where's Joe at five years, ten years from now? Or hopefully you and I are doing this five years from now. Maybe I'd love that. but. Where do you want to be 5, 10, 15 years from now in your growth? Or you want to move to Tahiti and sit my ties on the beach? Or what's next and the future look like for you?
0: When I was in my 20s, my goal was to make $100,000 by the time I'm 30. Mm-hmm. So I did. And my starting salary was $30,000 when I got out of college. I don't have any monetary goals anymore. I don't care if I become a billionaire. It's not important to me. What's important is how I invest my time mm. and being with those who I care about and I love and enjoying what I do. That's what's important to me. I'm in a mastermind with people who are, in some cases, literally 10 times wealthier than I am. And that's ultimately what it boils down to, how we spend our time. And that's why I have a lot of respect for everyone in this room. And I said at my keynote, you could be doing something else. So you're here and you're investing in yourself So I respect that a whole lot. I enjoy this. Ashcroft, we're going to focus on operations, capital preservation. We'll grow, and we'll continue to do our thing. Mm -hmm. I'm not going anywhere. living in Cincinnati.
2: You're not going to Uh, sell the whole joint to BlackRock anytime soon, right? We will recap deals.
0: That's interesting because for passive investors, it's just as good as a sale. It doesn't really matter to a passive investor, to the general partner, all you general partners out there consider recapping deals versus selling deals. Because mm-hmm. with the recap deals, you're buying out your limited partners, they're getting a return and they can 1031 into another deal of yours, just like if you sold it. Mm-hmm. But instead, from a general partner standpoint, you're recapping it with say Goldman Sachs and BlackRock, which we did this mm-hmm. past June on nine of our deals. And we still own those nine deals. It's just with the different waterfall and ownership structure with BlackRock and Goldman. So ideally we don't sell any deal, we recap them all. Some deals don't fit the mm-hmm. criteria of what those groups want, specifically older deals. They don't necessarily want to recap them, so we would
1: sell those. But ideally, we just recap
0: and continue.
1: For those of us who aren't as familiar with it and could maybe learn more about it as an additional option, could you take one minute and explain exactly what a recap is yeah, and it, how it do you make that happen?
0: Yeah, It's basically, initially, you have 100 limited partners and they get bought out by a different limited partner but in this case it's a hedge fund or a private equity firm and they come in and and they buy that position they buy out the lps and from an lp standpoint they get the returns that you would on a sale and they can 1031 which is what we did this past summer into a larger portfolio and then you have a new lp and that new lp is whichever group bought out your hundreds of other LPs in those deals. As far as how you go about that process, I was not involved. My focus in the business is individual high net worth investors. We have Frank and a couple other people on our team have relationships with the hedge funds of the world. I have no interest in having relationships with them because they have them and I just prefer not to. I prefer these Conversations
2: you look with better in the family of the suit. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know? it's you just not I'm me. Not yeah. Yeah. And,
0: and, I, and I don't know much about it. I don't have yeah. the relationship. I don't care know much about it because we have team members who do. So I stay in my lane. Yeah.
2: So I start getting questions going from the audience. I guess. see what we would to ask Joe, but I've got one that I want to throw out here. I closed a deal a couple of years ago, and I just put it on Facebook that we had an offer accepted. That's what it was. And wife and I were out for a walk, and a couple days later these beautiful little tumblers show up in the mail with nothing. And the longest time like, man, who sent me these cool little things? And you know who sent it to me? It was you. And you've been a giving human being. I've heard a lot of the talks you've given about your work with hospice. And you've been of the giving mindset. You've given to a lot of people here and myself. There is a mantra for you of giving and I was wondering if you want to comment on that briefly about your giving mindset and maybe where it comes from or just what it's all about.
0: When we do it's called the thoughtful project and we identify people in my circle who have accomplishments or if it's someone who we speak to on the phone, a potential investor or investor, if some sort of life milestone happened, we make note of it and then we send something to them thoughtfully. Why? Because it's unexpected. I don't send holiday cards because that's expected. Mm. It gets lost in the clutter, but when you are thoughtful and send something thoughtful and unexpected, it breaks through. And it's something that people appreciate. It goes back to those three quotes I mentioned earlier. My philosophy secret living is giving help enough people get what they want. You'll get everything you want and service to many leads to greatness. And it feels good, and it gives you perspective too. Especially hospice, that gives you a lot of perspective.
2: It's a way to unexpectedly make somebody feel great, and it did in that moment for what you did for me and for many others here. Do we have a? time? Like the, uh, there's a mic floating around. Well, yeah, a like, shout like, out. We, minutes, we got so. good ears, so. Yeah, well, there's uh, the mic. Yeah, probably time for one or two questions from the audience here. So just go ahead and toss them out.
1: Hi, Carl. Hi. Krus- Hi. Wow, that's very loud. Sorry about that. Oh, Carl Krauskov from Seattle. And What's your name? Uh, Carl Krauskov.
2: Hi, Carl. Carl. Hey. What do you got? So
1: thank you for putting on the Best Ever Conference and putting on the Best Ever Fireside Chat. First off, Joe, I am a huge Third Eye Blind fan. I actually do, drove, do, do, baby. I drove nine hours without a ticket, ended up getting backstage passes. Wow. was fantastic. Wow. So I'm two years into the syndication space full-time. In the last two years, raised $4 million for all my own deals. Now, looking for the ability to scale up. Again, live in Seattle, invest in Seattle, looking for that next market the next market that could stand another syndicator coming in and growing a big company. What are some, maybe three actionable steps to help identify what that next market would be?
0: Well, you identify markets, right? Yeah. How do you approach it? Thank you, Joe. So I could answer that question, but that's not the area I focus in. Yeah. We have a director of acquisitions and the team of analysts. So. What I, here's be what say.
2: You're likely putting that on your own shoulders and you should maybe find yourself a phenomenal partner that can help you with that, that is, becomes a market expert. So we have an assessment outside that maybe what Joe's referring to. If you should scale your business on attracting more and more capital to yourself while you also maybe attract somebody in this room that is a market expert, in any market that has good fundamentals. And there's many, many markets in the U.S. that have good fundamentals that are likely going to be recession-proof or lighter economy-proof. I would look for markets that have diverse job bases, and then find yourself a person that is an expert in that market that can infiltrate it for you and produce deals for you and your investors to enjoy without you having to be the one to go out there and do, because you're really just creating more work for yourself and spreading yourself too thin if you're the one that finds the market. This is a book called Who Not How, so I would apply the Who Not How concept to that.
0: It reminds me of when is a good time to invest in real estate, right? Now and tomorrow and yesterday, you can make money in any market. You can and it's awesome that you live in Seattle and you invest in Seattle because you know Seattle. I was born in Flint, Michigan. My family moved from Flint to Houston when I was three because unemployment went through the roof. So there are some markets you've got to be careful of, but the Sun Belt, by and large, you're going to be good. It's a matter of how do you execute in the market and. How do you find those deals and how do you execute in the market? That's really where you're going to make the money because most of the large cities in the Sun Belt would work for you. It's what is your unique differentiator that allows you to have a competitive advantage in whatever
1: city you pick. Carl, we've got an extensive screening process for picking markets, but I'll give you the the top four. Population growth job growth because jobs actually follows people. You want landlord and business friendly. And then also you want an area where rents are affordable, where you have room to grow and people aren't going to be not paying rent because of inflation. So Mm -hmm. we're already out of time, unfortunately. So Joe, you know, I have to ask you this question. For everyone sitting here in the audience today, what is your best real estate investing advice ever?
2: Have you ever been asked that question? You've asked that uh, maybe, question to thousands know. and
1: thousands of people. I mean, Has
2: anybody I'm, ever asked you
1: that question?
0: Me? I don't know. I'm not sure. I would say my First best advice ever. is take all the free advice that you can get, then decide what you want to do with it.
1: There you go.
2: Well said. Guys, Joe Fairless, everyone. Let's give him a round of applause.